This podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. Nerd Wallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hi, my name is Maddie. I'm 13, and I'm from Green Bay, Wisconsin. What's up, guys? My name is Connor Blakely. I'm 18 years old, and I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. I saw y'all's Facebook post about wanting teenagers to talk about their smartphones. I've had a smartphone since I was probably in kindergarten or first grade. I think social media and our smartphones can be really positive because in the palm of our hand, we're able to communicate with one another. I have an iPhone 5, and I use it every day. It makes me feel independent. And having it with me helps make me feel like I'm not missing anything important. I'd say I use it around seven, eight hours a day, mostly for connecting with my friends through Instagram, Snapchat, text messages, and phone calls. Um, Me and my friends, what we like the most about smartphones uh, is the fact that we can get anything whenever we want it, how we want it, uh, whether it's trying to figure out plans or how we're going to order food or figure out where we're about to go out to eat. I think that it's nice to have an escape from reality for a moment. But at the same time, I feel like if we had never had phones, we would be a lot more connected to the outside world. People are way too consumed sometimes with sharing the experience that they're living. I oftentimes find myself looking at all my friends during a concert, taking a Snapchat of Kendrick Lamar. Well, I'm the only one who's like actually looking at Kendrick trying to authentically experience it so I can have that memory. I think technology is cool, but... It's also important to take a break as well. I do take technology breaks, but yeah, I'm on my smartphone a ton. Hi, I'm Katie, and I'm addicted to my iPhone. Hi, Katie. Yes, I know. (laughs) We're impersonating an AA meeting, but Brian, I think a lot of people around the country have the same problem I do. I'm on my iPhone constantly, checking it incessantly, and basically wasting endless amount of time on it. Yeah, I had a very sad experience the other day where I actually got a a spasm 
between my thumb and my pointer finger just because I'm holding my iPhone all the time. I'm basically like reshaping the musculature in my hand. Actually, that's not that funny because do you know that a lot of kids, they're seeing a lot of neck problems among adolescents because of the way they're constantly looking at their iPhones. Well, clearly we're obsessed with this topic and I think a lot of other people are, including a psychologist named Jean Twangy. Jean has just written a book called iGen, Why Today's Super Connected Kids Are Growing Up Less Rebellious, More Tolerant, Less Happy, and Completely Unprepared for Adulthood, and what that means for the rest of us. I don't know how they fit that title on a book, Brian. It's more of a chapter than a title. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's, it's also the subject of the latest cover story in The Atlantic, which is really fascinating. And so we talked to Jean, particularly about how these trends have affected young people who are working less, dating less, sleeping less. They're taking four times as many antidepressants as the generation before them. So it's had a really profound impact on their brains and their personalities. There are some positive effects for this uber-connected generation, but many negative, as you mentioned, Brian. So to hear more and to learn more, here's our conversation with Jean Twangy, a professor of psychology at San Diego State University. I don't know if you've seen it. This isn't my daughter, but it could have been the video of a two-year-old trying to swipe through a paper magazine, and she can't figure out why it's not working. (laughs) It's just incredible, isn't it? And I think a lot of parents are concerned about screen time. And it's not just screen time in and of itself. It's really the impact of how this is affecting our social relationships. Exactly. And, And when you say I generation, little I, what age are you talking about? So right now in 2017, iGen is those ages 5 to 22. So it's a pretty broad swath. Um, It's those born 1995 to 2012. That latter date might be revised later on when we find out more about this generation and their characteristics. But that beginning date of 1995, folks who were born then in the mid-1990s, they spent their entire adolescence with smartphones. I mean, one of the, I think, the fascinating parts of this article you wrote that draws from your book is that there are a lot of positive changes that this generation has experienced. I mean, today's kids are physically safer, they have sex later, they use drugs less. So it's really been a mixed bag in terms of what the the impacts are. Right. And a lot of those trends that you're mentioning are not as connected to smartphones, They're part of uh, a much more general trend of um, children and teens growing up more slowly. So taking on both the privileges and the pleasures of adulthood later than they used to. Why is that happening? I'm curious, Jean. I'm I'm surprised, actually, to hear you say that because, (laughs) to me, kids aren't having a childhood. They're being pushed academically at school. Uh, They're being uh, subjected to all sorts of sexual imagery that Mm -hmm. uh, some have even theorized that's bringing on puberty earlier. So Mm -hmm. I'm curious what evidence you have that they are kind of delaying adulthood. Right. They're exposed to lots of things online. You're absolutely right. The age age of puberty has gone down. The academic pressure part, um, 
actually eighth graders do significantly less homework now than they did in the 1990s. Wow. Same thing for 10th graders and 12th graders. Uh, That's actually a really important thing to keep in mind throughout this conversation. It comes up a lot. So for them growing up slowly, I looked at the data on uh, eighth graders, 10th graders, 12th graders, so um, middle school and high school students to see how often or whether at all they did things that adults do that children don't. So being a teen is a time of transition. You start doing things that adults do, things like driving, working, dating, going out without your parents, having sex, drinking alcohol. All of those activities have gone down. Teens are less likely to do all of those things than they were even 10 years ago. But isn't that directly related, Jane, to technology? Because it seems to me they're driving less because they can call an Uber or they are going out less because they can talk on, you know, video chat or whatever. And they are having sex less because they're actually physically with people less. I'm sure they're probably sexting more and having actual sex Mm -hmm. less. So isn't all these trends connected to iPhone use or computer use in general? So there definitely are some connections to technology for, you know, some of the reasons that you mentioned, that they can keep in touch with friends uh, without going out of the house. Um, Uber is probably not a factor because you can't use Uber until you're 18. Plus, these trends in terms of driving and driver's licenses uh, show up in rural areas where Uber is not available. Um, But technology does have an influence. It probably accelerated some of these trends. But um, these trends have been heading in that direction since before smartphones were available. So there's also clearly other cultural factors going on here. So the most likely explanation is we have fewer children. We nurture them for longer. We expect that they will take uh, longer to finish their education, that they'll go to college and maybe even graduate school, that they will have their own children later. So it's called a slow life strategy. And the theory behind this suggests that an environment that is safe and nurturing and favors having fewer children who are going to live longer will push for this type of slower development. And that's exactly what we're seeing is an 18-year-olds now look like what 15-year-olds look like 10 or 20 years ago. And it was stunning to me how quickly this change has occurred. In the article, you pointed out that 12th graders in 2015 go out less than 8th graders did in 2009. I mean, so many of the changes you're describing really boil down to kids spending time alone in their rooms. Why is actual face-to-face communication so critically important, Gene? Well, you know, think about human evolution and for how many years our brains evolved, how many thousands, tens of thousands of years our brains evolved without screens. In the caveman era, if you were isolated from other people and didn't have face-to-face interaction, you were dead. You didn't have anybody to help you find food. You didn't have anybody to mate with. That was literally bred out of us um, to be a hermit. Uh, We really need that face-to-face interaction to be happy. We are hardwired that way. And it's interesting, Jean, you bring that up. A teenager named Ayla called in from Texas. She's one of our listeners with these thoughts on screen time. Um, Let's have a listen to what she says, and then we can talk about it. Hi there. I was born in 1998. I'm 18 years old. 
So I've had a phone for pretty much my entire life. And I honestly believe that social media, like Instagram and Facebook and stuff, seeing photos of girls like models and stuff pop up on your feed really makes girls my age feel very insecure about themselves. And I know that a lot of girls feel like social media is the best thing ever, but I just don't. I guess that's all I have to say. I hope this helps. Jean, that's an interesting comment. And of course, I'm sure Ayla is not alone. I'm sure a lot of uh, girls her age, 18-year-olds, feel that way. And do you think it is contributing to the increase in anxiety, depression, and and suicidal thoughts or uh, increased risk of suicide? Well, those mental health issues that have been on the rise, those trends are stronger and more acute for girls. Uh, In some cases, the trend only toward more mental health problems only shows up for girls and and not for boys. And that may be because girls spend more time on their smartphones and more time on social media, and that many of the interactions that girls have on social media um, come with those types of feelings that Ayla is describing of being judged for your appearance um, of seeing others um, who, you know, have these unattainable physical ideals, there's, you know, a lot of pressures on teen girls that are um, exacerbated and um, really just become so much of a larger issue online, even more than they used to be. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about the effect of these changes on depression rates among the iGen generation? Yeah, so there's two crucial pieces to that. The first is there is an increasing amount of evidence that iGen is suffering from more mental health issues. And this shows up across many different sources. They're more likely to uh, be identified as having major depressive disorder. Those rates have gone up by about 50%. They're more likely to say they feel anxious, to say they feel overwhelmed, to show symptoms of depression, to feel lonely, uh, to self-harm, say, through cutting. Across the board, suicide rates have tripled for girls between the ages of 12 and 14. They've gone up by 50% for older teen girls. Um, There's rises for for teen boys as well. Um, So just in many different measures, they are suffering from many, from more and more severe mental health issues um, than just five years ago or 10 years ago. There was a fairly sudden change starting mostly around 2011 or 2012. This is really upsetting, obviously, when you hear this, Gene. And and let's unpack yes. it if if we could. Yes. Tell me what is at the root of these problems. Is it social isolation? Is it feeling that everybody has a better life than you do? Is it the mm-hmm. constant assault of perfection or seeming perfection that kids are being exposed to all the time on their digital devices? So— There's definitely a role for uh, social media and smartphones in this rise. Um, The rise started to happen right at the year when the majority of Americans had smartphones. And that year Um, was? 2012. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's, we know this from many, many studies of both teens and adults, that those who spend more hours on social media, 
on uh, electronic devices and smartphones are more likely to report mental health issues like anxiety and depression and risk for suicide. So it's not just that spending a lot of time in front of a screen may lead to anxiety and depression through comparison, through cyberbullying, things like that. It's also that by some estimates, teens are spending eight hours a day with screens. Combine that with school and other activities, they have very little time left over to just hang out with their friends and to have in-person social interaction with their friends and family. Sure enough, those things have declined. Teens do spend less time interacting with their friends face-to-face than they used to. And I think that's actually one of the major effects here is not just the screen, but that the screen uh, leaves less time for that in-person, face-to-face social interaction, which is so crucial for mental health. You know, Jean, that's so interesting that you bring this up because I have a daughter who's in college, and even visiting her in college— When I was in school, of course, I'm much older than you and Brian, but I remember spending time in the hallway uh, drinking, like, cup of soup we had made from our hot pot, right, boiling water in our hot pot, or making popcorn and ordering a pizza and sitting in the hall, you know, uh, a big group of us and just blowing off steam, talking, sharing stories. And when I visited my daughter in college, I noticed that A lot of kids in their downtime spend time on their computer. They're watching movies, they're watching TV shows, they're talking to their friends, but they're not actually hanging out. Yes. Many people who have looked at this have said, well, you know, teens, young adults, they're just just talking to their friends when they're on their phones or on their computer. They're communicating with their friends. Teens have always done that. They're just using a different method. I think that assumes that... That's the same, that electronic communication and in-person communication are, the, are equal for mental health and well-being. They are not. They are definitely not. Face-to-face interaction predicts more happiness, less depression, screen time, the opposite. You know, we should stop and think about what people are actually seeing on these social media sites like Instagram and and. <laughs> For people my age, it's like everyone's on the greatest vacation ever at all times, and so you kind of feel bad <laughs> right. about that. With the best bodies Looking ever and your... the most beautiful skin mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. Well, and and mm-hmm. to your and to that point, Katie, um, particularly for younger people, um, I think the images are often almost pornographic. It's like um, girls in really skimpy swimsuits showing off their bodies, and if your body doesn't look like that, you feel really bad about yourself. I have a a sister who's much younger who talks about this. And um, I'm sure that contributes to this feeling of insecurity and feeling left out. Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, that's one of the questions that they're asked on these big surveys is, do you feel left out? And that really started to go up and uh, around 2012. So um, teens are now more likely to say that they feel left out and lonely than they did just five years ago, which is particularly interesting because social media, they advertise themselves as connecting us and leading to less loneliness. 
but the opposite actually seems seems to be true. It's the ultimate irony in many ways. These devices that ostensibly keep us connected actually make us feel lonely and isolated more than ever before. And one thing I wanted to talk to Eugene about is sort of the physiological impact of some of these things like smartphones and the addictive nature. I don't think it takes a teenage boy or girl to know that we often reach for our smartphone, we feel panicky if we can't find our phone. It's become almost an appendage, a third arm, if you will. Talk about the impact that's having on this generation. So there's, you know, increasing amount of research suggesting that smartphones are addictive, that they light up the same areas of the brain, that they uh, engender the same brain chemicals as other types of addictions. So that's why it's so difficult to stop, even if you know that it's bad for you. Uh, Because you might ask that question, well, if it's so bad, then why do they do it so much? Uh, Because it is addictive. They also feel a lot of social pressure to, to do it, but it's that constant stimulation. It's, it's one of those things, just like drug addiction, it feels good, but only for a short amount of time, and then it feels bad. And that's the problem with it. You know, there was a, a man recently in the news who wanted to ban cell phones or prevent kids under 13, I believe, from getting uh, a smartphone in his community. And of course, he people laughed about that and thought it was ridiculous. But do you think that's going to be given greater consideration? A friend of mine who studies these things said, you know, you wouldn't give alcohol to a 10-year-old and you're giving them free reign over something that is, in fact, highly addictive. What are your thoughts on that, Jean? I do think it is a good idea for parents to put off getting a smartphone for their kids as long as possible. Um, and one, one reason I think that is I looked at that in this um, analysis. Sure enough, the effect of social media on depression is largest for 8th graders, a little lower for 10th graders, and lower still for 12th graders. 8th graders are just not, much less 6th graders, many of whom do have smartphones, are at a very vulnerable time in their development and often don't have the emotional resources to deal with a lot of the stuff that happens online. So if you're worried about your kid taking the bus, get them a flip phone. They still sell them. They can still call you and text you by pressing the same you know number three times. Remember that? From 10 years ago? You know, it's interesting. A number of my friends in Silicon Valley, some of whom work for these social media companies, not only prevent their kids from getting smartphones until they're, you know, well into high school, but they themselves have deleted the Facebook app or the Instagram app uh, from their phones so that they're not tempted. You know, they maybe check it once or twice a day on their computers, but they just, they don't trust themselves to resist the temptation if it's on their phones. And so they just, they solve it that way. I mean, do you think that uh, there are other strategies that parents or young people themselves could employ to kind of moderate our use of, of these technologies? Yeah. So, for, you know, for, for parents, there, there are apps out there that you can put on your kid's phone once they eventually get one, um, which will restrict the number of time, hours a day they can use it and also um, the time of day when they use it. So you can have it turn off at nine o'clock and then not back on until seven in the morning if you want them to uh, be able to relax before they go to sleep and get a good night's sleep. Uh, And then I think that strategy 
of only having social media on your desktop uh, or your laptop rather than on your phone is a really good one. I actually follow that myself. I'm a very late convert to social media. Um, I am on Twitter to talk about some of these issues, but I do it only on my desktop. I do not have it on my phone. Let's take a short break. When we return, we'll have much more with psychologist Jean Twangy about teenagers and their digital diets. And I'm also going to check to see if I have any new emails. That's right after this. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. One thing that your study and your book points out, Gene, is this really crosses socioeconomic lines. We're not just talking about a bunch of spoiled rich kids who are having these problems or who are interacting with one another this way, are we? That's exactly right. So um, the smartphone has completely collapsed the socioeconomic gap in internet access. Um, Teens who are from disadvantaged backgrounds are just as likely and actually a little more likely to uh, spend a lot of hours online compared to those with uh, more money and more resources. So it's, I think it's really important to get across that message that these effects of smartphones are not going to be isolated to just, a, a, you know, rich communities, um, that they occur across ethnicity, across socioeconomic status, across region. Uh, they're very, very pervasive trends that that really show up among many different groups. And, you know, Brian, the other thing we didn't talk about, which I think Jean alluded to, is this ability to be empathetic, to have empathy. That's one of the most 
important reasons that you need to have face-to-face contact, isn't it, Jean? Because you, to develop emotional intelligence, you have to be able to have that verbal interplay and really read somebody and understand how your words are making that person feel. Yeah, and that's uh, you know another area. There is one study that suggests uh, screen time is having a negative impact on social skills. They looked at sixth graders who either you know lived their normal lives or went to a camp for five days where they had no access to screens. And sure enough, the kids who went to the screen-free camp at the end of that time had improved their social skills more. There's a great quote in your piece uh, in which you say, in the next decade, we may see more adults who know just the right emoji for a situation, but not the right facial expression. I think people don't necessarily realize the the consequences on in-person conversations of spending all of this time staring at phones. Yeah, so not only are teens interacting with each other in person less when they are with their friends in person, they often have their phones. They're often looking at their phones. So that reduction in face-to-face time may be considerably larger um, given that that face-to-face time sometimes isn't even face-to-face time. Gene, you know, you, we're focusing on, on kids or on teenagers, and, and that's really the subject of your book with iGen. But aren't you concerned about the impact this is having on all of us in terms of what it's doing to our humanity, our ability to relate to each other, the way we spend our time and our overall quality of life? Can you tell I have an issue here, Jean? Yeah. <laughs> well, and yeah, and I, I agree completely. I My particular study and book, uh, you know, focuses mostly on teens, but I hope to look more at adults in the future and see how it's affecting all of us. And there are lots of other studies suggesting that these same uh, effects of smartphones and screen time on loneliness and depression and psychological well-being show up for adults as well. So this, yeah, this is not just a problem with teens. It, it is an issue um, with adults as well. So it's something we, I think we all need to think about carefully. What are the practical ramifications of this, though? I mean, as you see this iGen or this generation of children and teenagers completely focused on technology and the the impact technology is having on how they spend their days. What do you see occurring in the future? I mean, and how worried are you about this? I am, I'm the most worried about these mental health trends. Um, That's one of the reasons I wrote the book. And there's now so much evidence um, showing these trends and, and showing that smartphones you know, might be playing a role in it, that I think we really need to take this seriously. So I'm really hoping that there'll be more attention paid to that. Maybe we can try to stop some of these negative trends in, in their tracks with some sensible solutions. You know, we don't have to take phones away entirely, but try to moderate their use and just pay more attention to this. And also, parents, just realize your kids hanging out with their friends, it's not wasted time. They are building valuable skills for relationships and the workplace when they're doing that. I think also one of the topics I'm really interested in in terms of uh, technology and smartphones is how distracted we are by them and the fact that we have very little downtime, so to speak. And I remember giving a commencement address. I told Eugene, I often quoted 
your Generation Me book in my commencement addresses, but I also talked about the importance of not focusing on something, of giving your brain a break, I guess, and daydreaming. And I read that the part of your brain that's responsible for creativity is really ignited when you're not doing a specific task. And that's why we come up with great ideas when we're in the shower, right? When we have mm-hmm. some time yep. and our, let our minds wander. Um, is that something that you've looked at or thought about? So, yeah, I haven't been able to research that specifically, but I'm a big believer um, in kids occasionally and getting good and bored and just kind of letting their minds wander and having time to read a book or maybe read a couple pages of one book and then another or however they want to spend the time and just not always having that screen available, not having every minute of the, the day scheduled, that they can have that time away from screens to just explore and think and read uh, is just so important for their development cognitively, emotionally, and everything else. It's interesting. You know, when I was growing up, Brian, I would always say to my mom in the summer when I didn't, you know, maybe she put me in summer school for a while, or but I had a, I had some downtime. And I would say, Mom, I'm so bored. I mean, I don't think kids ever say that anymore, right? I would go, she would say, go read. So I'd go up to my room, I'd put my pillow on our window unit air conditioner, make it really, really cold, and then I'd lie on my pillow and read. Hey, who says I wasn't an exciting kid? But I mean, do you ever hear kids now say, I'm bored because they have something to occupy them 24-7, right, you guys? My, my my kids still say that. They do? <laughs> because they're not allowed to use smartphones, probably. Right, exactly, because they don't have smartphones. And even, you know, the little tablets, um, they, die, you know, they that's what they want to be doing. But I most of the time don't let them. I, I usually gesture to all the books that we have. I'm like, how can you possibly be bored? We have all of those books. Go read one. Gene, we can't have this conversation without talking about my latest obsession, which is texting and driving. If you walk Mm. around any American city these days, you look into the cars, and people are just staring at their smartphones. And the statistics on this are just absolutely terrifying. One out of four car accidents are caused by texting while driving. The average text will distract a driver for about five seconds. The average driver is going 55 miles an hour. That means that the driver is driving the length of a football field without looking out. And so it's it's actually more dangerous than drunk driving. And so what can we do it's about so, this it's epidemic. so infuriating, it's by the way. I, I see people texting, and I, like, wag my finger at them and say, stop <laughs> texting. And I'm sure they think I'm a crazy person, which I am. But it infuriates me when I see someone texting when they're driving. Well, and one study showed that 25% of teens respond to at least one text while driving every single time they drive. So this is just epidemic. Yep. <laughs> I mean, what can be done about this, Gene? Anything? Well, has anybody invented an app yet that will uh, shut off the phone if it's moving faster than 20 miles an hour? Actually, they have. I did a profile of this gentleman uh, on Yahoo, and a friend of mine told me that Germany has just installed ground-level, you know, walk-don't-walk signs because— cell phone users aren't looking up. They're looking down, and so they're building them into the pavement so pedestrians don't get get hit by cars, which I think is a real sign of the time, so to speak. Absolutely. Yeah, it really is. Wow. (laughs) 
I feel like so many others that I am very addicted to my smartphone that uh, when I have a moment of downtime, I check it, I look at it, and then I get sucked into this vortex of useless information. And I'm like, oh, I want to <laughs> see what these actors look like. You won't believe it. Right, they look, right, Or I right. want to see how fat someone is in a bathing suit. I mean, it's sick, right? And then I get more of that right. garbage because I clicked on it. It's terrible. But um, yes, I need, I need help, Jean. Um, I don't know if you're the person. Maybe I need to discuss this with my therapist. But what advice would you give to people? People, would you say, like, put your phone away? Nothing's more depressing to me when I go out to dinner. I'm not this bad, Brian and Jean, but when I go out to dinner and I see couples like having a romantic dinner and they're both on their phones or a yes. group of friends and every last right. one of them is <sighs> on their phones. But listen, yes. I'm sure people listening to this, our listeners who I love, by the way, thank you all for listening. I'm sure they've seen this too. And uh, I hope they're not the people who are on their phones because they're not going to be listening to the podcast anymore. But don't you think that's insane? I, I, I do. I think you. it is just simple awareness and politeness to have that phone put away during dinner when you're spending time face-to-face with a friend, that we have to set limits on this. Um, and sure, if you know, you're expecting a really important call, they just, you can— Figure it out then. But that thing of everybody at dinner swiping through the phone, you have to set that limit. Um, it, it just has to, it has to stay in your purse or in your briefcase uh, or in your pocket if you're going to be truly present for that situation. If you're going to be truly present in your own life, that phone has to be out of your hand. But, Gene, in fairness to smartphone users— a lot of this is not checking social media. A lot of this is workplace culture now, where if you're the first one to respond to an email, your boss thinks more highly of you. If you're a journalist and you're not on top of Twitter all the time, you feel like you're behind the curve. And so right. a lot of it is not that we want to be on our smartphones all the time. It's that we feel like we have to be in order to succeed professionally. I under I understand that impulse completely. So. Um, and I, I, I think everybody's just got to f- try to figure that out as much as they can, that you have to resist that temptation once you've done that work email, then put it away. Um, and, yeah, everybody has clicked on the, you know, why Hollywood doesn't hire Brandon Fraser anymore. Oh, I really want to know that. Um, <laughs> Ten Hollywood What's celebrities the answer to that, had Jean? horrible plastic some- surgery. I got to see that. Are the worst people I mean, in that's- Hollywood to work with or the worst people yes. in America to work with. I'm always afraid I'm going to click it and I'm going to see myself. Oh, no. <laughs> I doubt it. I highly doubt it, Katie. You've uh, only been on a couple of those lists, Katie. Thanks. Not very much. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> Having said that, I think a lot of employers are starting to think about this. And there are some companies yes. where they forbid people, Brian, from being on email after a certain hour. And so I think we're seeing people slowly but surely realize the detrimental effects of this constant connectivity. And I think they're starting to take steps to to change things. Do you, Gene? I think there is more awareness. And one of the things that actually surprised me the most in the interviews I did with iGen teens was how many of them are aware of the negative effects of smartphones. So the girl who I call Athena in the Atlantic piece seemed 
fully aware. She's thir- you know, 13, never known a world without smartphones, but realizes that having a conversation with a friend when she's trying to look at her phone is infuriating. And I think m- most of us, you know, completely agree with that. And that that a 13-year-old would still recognize that gave me some hope that if we realize the effect that these things are having, that's the first step to trying to do something about it. And if and if even a teen who's never known any other world realizes this, I think the rest of us can too. When I read your article, I started thinking about my own childhood and the concerns about too much television viewing. And I thought, well, is this really more of the same? And then I realized the difference is the ubiquity of technology in our lives. You didn't have the television on. You couldn't take your TV with you when you went to the playground or went out on a date or went to school. And so it's the fact that that technology is now so omnipresent. It's really changed the face of how we live and how we interact with each other. Yeah, I think that's one of the keys. I think that's also why, you know, a lot of these trends don't start to show up until most people have a smartphone, that because the internet's been around for a while, that it's having that technology always with you. Um, With that said, TV does have negative effects on happiness and depression. So sometimes when people say, well, everybody said TV was going to make people depressed. Well, it does. Um, And Social media and smartphones happen to be a little bit worse. They have a little bit of a stronger correlation, but TV isn't great either. All right, duly noted. By the way, we um, here's another telling teen adult exchange that we just wanted to mention. Midroll's head of revenue, Lex Friedman, chatted with his teenage niece, Lior, over Facebook Messenger. Gosh, listen to the way we're even leading up to this, about calling into our show. Here's what she said. She said, tell Katie Couric that I was born in 1999 and I would for sure take a bullet for my phone. Lex then told her, leave her a voicemail. And she said, Lex, I just said I was born in 1999. I've never left a voicemail in my life. (laughs) (laughs) So there you have it, right? I mean, how much of this hand-wringing, though, is sort of by old fogies who are saying, kids, what's the matter with kids today? And is it being overblown? Oh, you've got to sing over- that song, Katie. What's the matter with kids today? Remember Paul Lynn right. from Bye Bye, Bye, Bye Birdie. Birdie? Yeah. But I mean, how much of this is that, Gene? Well, you know, I went into this without any ex- expectations, really, about what would show up. I just monitor these national databases and kind of see uh, what trends end up showing up. Um, it was a real process of seeing the trends, possibly connecting it to the smartphones. And these surveys, this is what teens say about themselves. This has nothing to do with what older people are complaining about. Um, it's all about what teens are experiencing, how they're spending their time, and how it's making them feel. Um, and I think that's that's where you have to start is, you know, really listening to teens. Um, and that's that's been my philosophy for a while with this generation's research is to really listen to young people themselves, um, both in surveys and, and in interviews. Um, and I'm not 
usually concerned with what people think I'm concerned about, which is, oh, you know, haven't people always said that, well, I don't care what people say. I want to know what young people say now compared to what young people used to say 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago. I want to add one other thing that may sound a little bit preachy, but Gene, don't you think parents need to take more control? This seems to be, I think, coinciding with this trend to overparent and coddle kids And they want them to be popular, so they want them to have access to social media and be able to talk to their friends, et cetera, et cetera. But do you think it's time for parents to say, hey, we're going to have a basket where everybody puts their phone after a certain time uh, at night, and we're going to go out and we're going to do something as a family, everyone leave their smartphone behind? In other words, should parents start acting a little more parental? So I'm I'm a parent myself of of three kids. It's a tough job. Setting those limits is a struggle every single day, but it has to be done. And I think a lot of parents up, up to this point just haven't really gotten the right information about how um, smartphones are affecting their kids. Um, that's number one. And then, and then there is the reluctance to set limits, which is there as well, which you just have to fight. Um, Yes, you want your kid to be happy, but you have to think about their long-term health and happiness, not just their short-term health and happiness. I mean, to to make an analogy of something that's different from a smartphone, if I really wanted my kids to be happy uh, at dinner time, uh, I would say, guess what, kids? We're having cookies and ice cream for dinner. Would that be something that would make them happy? Absolutely. But is that a good idea in the long run for them learning how to eat healthy And if we did that every night, their teeth would run out of their head and they'd never get, you know, a healthy diet and they never learn how to how to eat well. Um, And the same is true for smartphones. Those limits have to be set. By the way, I should mention people should do what I say and not what I do. I don't necessarily have control over this myself (laughs) since I sound like such a know-it-all smarty pants. Well, what are three or four tips for parents in closing, Gene, to kind of get this really growing problem under control. So put off getting your kid a smartphone for as long as possible. Get a flip phone if you feel they really need a phone. Set up, when they do get a smartphone, one of those apps that will make sure they're not on it in the middle of the night and will restrict the number of hours a day they use it. Um, If you're on social media, um, consider not doing it on your phone, but doing it um, only on on a desktop. And in general, realize that spending time with other people in person is one of the greatest joys of human existence. And it's not a waste of time for teens. It's not a waste of time for adults. uh, And that it is better for mental health than staring at that screen. Well, Gene Twangy, I really enjoyed talking to you. I know this is something that Brian and I are both enormously interested in. And I think this should be a warning to parents and to kids alike to really enjoy all the wonders of technology and what you can do as a result of it. But like everything, it should be in moderation. Exactly. Thank you. Thanks, Gene. Thank you. Thank you. Brian, text me. Just kidding. As always, a big thank you to our production team, our crack pod squad, our producer, Gianna Palmer, our audio engineers. Was that a little cheesy? I like it. Who's Peggy Lipton? <laughs> I don't know. I think That's you are. That's Gianna. <laughs> no. <laughs> 
<laughs> Your link. Our audio engineers, Jared O'Connell in New York and Ryan Connor here in LA. Thanks also to our production assistant, Nora Ritchie, to Emily Bina of Katie Couric Media for uh, her production assistance. And lastly, thanks to Allison Bresnick for her fine work on social media. Actually, it's not lastly, because we also want to thank Mark Phillips for our very rockin' theme music. By the way, Brian and I are executive producers of this podcast. And hey, have you emailed us yet at comments at currentpodcast.com? Keep it clean, people. How about leaving us a voicemail? Something that that young woman has never done. If you're of a certain age, you all know what a voicemail is. Anyway, you can do so at 929-224-4637. Again, that's 929-224-4637. Please, we love to hear from you and tell us nice things about our podcast or not nice things. We're open to constructive criticism. If you don't know my social media handles by now, I mean, you've been living under a rock, people. I'm kidding. I'm Ka- I'm at Katie Couric on Twitter and Instagram and Katie.Couric on Snapchat. And you can find me on Facebook as well. Brian, meanwhile, is a Twitter fiend. He is always on Twitter. And his handle is at GoldsmithB. And maybe I'll be on Twitter a little less as a result of this episode. I hope so. Anyway, you've made it this far into the show. So why stop interacting with us now? Go on over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review our show. We would really appreciate it. It's how more people can learn about the show and can subscribe themselves. So please rate, please review, please subscribe. And uh, until next time, thanks for listening. Bye. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm late. I'm late. Very important Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from undercover tourists. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from undercover tourists and authorized seller and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with undercover tourists now and save. UndercoverTourist.com. Come.